Welcome to The Bridgehead with Jonathan Van Maren, bringing you cutting-edge news, commentary, and interviews from the front lines of the culture wars. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Bridgehead on AM 530 at 1.30 p.m. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and I'll be your host for the next half hour. Now, the case we want to look at today will be immediately recognizable to most of you because it's a case that cut to the very heart of the debate around uh, palliative care, around euthanasia, around the value of human life, around whether or not families had the right to care for their family members as they saw fit. And that was the Terry Schiavo case, which was a legal struggle that, that involved almost 15 years from 1990 to 2005 and pitted Terry Schiavo's husband Michael Schiavo against Terry Schiavo's family including her brother Bobby Schindler who I'll be speaking to uh, just a little bit later on in this program. Now Terry Schiavo collapsed in her St. Petersburg Florida home in cardiac arrest on February 25th of 1990 and as a result of the lack of oxygen she suffered she went through massive brain damage and was in a coma for about two and a half months after which she was diagnosed by some doctors to being in a vegetative state now her parents talk about how responsive she was they released video footage showing how responsive she was but for some reason Michael Schiavo in 1988 decided that he wanted to remove her feeding tube to remove Terry's feeding tube and end her life because that was what, in his words, she would have wanted. Now, her family strongly contested that, continues to uh, contest that, and, and assert that Michael Schiavo essentially uh, wanted to kill Terry for, for any number of reasons, but perhaps it was the fact that uh, Michael was already with another woman and having children with another woman and just wanted uh, Terry out of his life. The case is, is, is a fascinating story for a number of reasons, not the least of which how uh, the pro-life movement, which, which in many cases camped outside the hospital, the federal government, the, the state government, all got involved to try to save the life of this woman. For example, on, on October 15th of 2003, when Terry Schiavo's feeding tube was originally removed and uh, the Schindler's final appeal was exhausted, State Representative uh, Frank Atkinson of the Florida, Florida Legislature, of the direction of Governor Jeb Bush, who's a, a current presidential candidate hastily passed what was known as Terry's Law, which gave Governor Bush the authority to intervene, and he immediately ordered that the feeding tube uh, be reinserted. And he actually sent the Florida Department of Law Enforcement to remove Shivo from the hospice, and she was taken to Morton Plant Rehab Hospital in Clearwater, and there they surgically reinserted her feeding tube. Now, this is, is shocking for a number of reasons. We see essentially uh, different branches of government and the judicial and legislative branches facing off over someone's life. It's, a, it's an incredible story in many ways too and, and there's, there's debates raging on today about whether or not Governor Bush went too far, whether or not he went far enough. Michael Schiavo recently did a, a truly nauseating interview uh, for the Daily Beast in which he says uh, that Governor Jeb Bush made his life hell uh, because he prolonged Terry's life for so long and, and how he, he exhausted every legal avenue available to him uh, to try and save Terry's life and essentially he calls uh, Governor Jeb Bush a variety of names because he thinks that Jeb Bush's attempt to save the life of, of his wife and advocate on behalf of her family who was more than willing to take care of her uh, made him a bad person. 
But it's it's a story full of high drama, and I, I would encourage uh, the, those of you who aren't familiar with the Terry Schiavo case to, to go online and, and look it up. It it involves everything from uh, from uh, police forces facing off with state troopers to the United the United the President of the United States George W. Bush flying to Washington D.C. from his vacation in Texas, uh, you know, at close to two o'clock in the morning to sign a bill that would allow Terry's life uh, to continue. So it, it's a fascinating story, but at, at the very heart of it, it shows the fight. For, uh, for someone's life, it, it really showed uh, to many, many people what the value of human life was, that some were willing to go to great lengths to end the life of someone, while others were willing to go to equally great lengths to preserve that life in whatever form that life existed. So I just want to take a moment to uh, introduce Bobby Schindler, that, that's Terry Schiavo's brother, and, and he's come on the program to tell us a little bit about Terry's story, and we really appreciate the fact that he's taken the time. So I'd just like to start off then uh, by asking you to just to, to tell us a bit about your sister Terry. Of course, her name is is well recognized as being on legislation. It's it's recognized as sort of, you know, it was the crux of the culture wars for for the duration of her stay in the hospital. But just tell us a bit about about Terry, your sister. Sure. Well, um, yeah, Terry. Uh, Terry was one of three children. She was the oldest. Uh, Bob and Mary are our parents. Uh, we grew up uh, outside of Philadelphia. A very close family uh, came up through the parochial school system. Uh, Terry was somewhat shy growing up. Uh, she was not really into athletics. Uh, my younger sister Suzanne and myself, uh, we did play sports uh, and were more extroverted, I guess you would say. Uh, Terry was more uh, introverted, and she didn't have many friends. She was a bit overweight growing up, uh, so she really kept to herself and, and some of the few friends she had. Uh, I did remember that she did. Uh, she had this uh, overwhelming passion for animals. I remember that she uh, always wanted to uh, um, work at a zoo, and she spoke about being a veterinarian when she got older. Um, so that was the one thing I remember about my sister. We had all kind of animals growing up, and her bedroom was full of stuffed animals. Uh, I remember uh, uh, as a child. Um, once Terry graduated high school, uh, she she had lost some weight, and she really blossomed uh, physically into a beautiful young woman. And it was it was then when she started to meet uh, meet men uh, because they found uh, uh, they were finding her, I guess I always, uh, well, at least inside, she was always beautiful to us, but I guess she became more physically attractive and started attracting other men. That's where she met Michael Schiavo, and uh, and Michael was the, uh, was the first uh, man that she uh, ever dated, and they, I think it was not even a year later, they were married, or thereabouts, and uh, this was in 1984. Um, but Terry was a, a wonderful young woman. She had a great sense of humor. She was always able to to laugh at herself, and uh, and uh, uh, was very easy to get along with. And when people ask me about my sister and and tell a little bit about her, I always uh, kind of explain to them that because uh, nobody really met my sister once this this battle started to to help her. Uh, I always tell people that they would have been uh, quite proud of the person they were trying that they were advocating for and trying to protect. Mm-hmm. Then when did the car accident happen? Well, it wasn't a car accident. She was she was home alone. It was uh, February 25th, 1990. Terry was only 26 years old. She was physically healthy, so it came as quite a surprise that when she uh, collapsed. But that's what happened. She was home alone with her husband, Michael, at the time, and she collapsed for still unknown reasons. There's a lot, there's a lot of reports out there, and a lot of things said in the media what caused Terry's collapse, but uh, none of them have ever been ever validated. So we still don't know what caused Terry to collapse while she was home alone with Michael, but. But as a, as a result of this collapse, she went several minutes without oxygen, and, and she experienced a, uh, a pretty severe brain injury uh, because of that. 
And tell us a bit about what happened after that. She was she was obviously taken to the hospital. And when when did this whole battle start? Yeah, well, uh, really, what ensued from there was um, uh, doing what we could to, to get Terry the best help possible. In the beginning, the prognosis wasn't good. Uh, she did have a severe brain injury, uh, and she was uh, at least initially she was in a coma, and she was hooked up to machines that were keeping her alive, but. Within a relatively short period of time, I think it was less than than a less than a month, where Terry emerged from her coma and really didn't need any machines to keep her alive. In fact, uh, the only thing that that she needed was food and hydration that had to be given to her through a feeding tube. She had difficulty swallowing because of her brain injury, mm-hmm. and therefore needed that feeding tube in order to get her uh, food and water. But that was it. I mean, that was the only thing keeping Terry alive. Really, the same thing that keeps everyone else alive, which is was just food and water. But uh, but as I said, because of her brain injury, she had a she had a tough time ingesting food uh, through the mouth. Uh, but the first couple of years, uh, Terry was getting aggressive uh, therapy and rehabilitation, or I should say, about a year and a half. And mm-hmm. she was re- she was responding to this. She was starting to form words, and our whole family and Michael and himself were all encouraged by the progress he was making. It wasn't a lot, but it was enough to give us hope that uh, she was able to recover and and she was um, responding to the rehabilitation and therapy she was receiving. Michael. Incidentally, was Terry's guardian, uh, so he had full control over all the decisions that were made or were to be made about Terry. But in the beginning, he was working with our family. As I said, that first year and a half or so, he was working with our family to provide Terry with the, the best care and rehabilitation that we could find for her. And, and Terry was responding, which, again, much of, much, is ne- much of this is never reported by the media, the progress Terry was making and the fact that she was starting to form words, which was really an indication of her of how she was responding to the therapy she was receiving. And when did this all start to change? Well, this was uh, when Terry was, was getting this therapy and rehabilitation. This was just after Terry's collapse, uh, so 1991, perhaps even as far as 1992. But it was, it was in 1993 that a shift occurred with Michael. Uh, we, we had a dispute with him over Terry's care. My family was was asking Michael if he was going to continue to, to give Terry the rehabilitation therapy that was working. Uh, the, there was a medical malpractice uh, lawsuit that Michael had initiated against Terry's treating doctors before her collapse, and there was over a million dollars or up, upwards of a million dollars that was placed in a medical trust fund for my sister. And this all occurred right around the time when Michael decided that he was going to um, really sever the relationship with our family and he he alone was going to make decisions for Terry that did not involve my mom or dad or any of our family, for that matter. So this was in 1993 when this all started. And that's really when the battle began to protect Terry, because it was shortly after this agreement occurred between our family that Michael made his first attempt to end Terry's life. And, and it's important to note, too, again, much of this is rarely reported by the media today, because Terry's case still is reported quite a bit in the media. Uh, but Terry, uh, that Michael... Being Terry's guardian, he was the. Uh, uh, if anything happened to Terry, or uh, if she would die, he was going to inherit her trust fund, which, as I said, was upwards of a million dollars uh, when this when it was placed in the in, in uh, the trust for my sister. And as I understand it, at some point he started dating again. It was. We we found out later that it was shortly shortly thereafter when when this when this all when all of this occurred. Uh, that Michael had asked another woman to actually marry him. It was his fiancée, and this is why he was still being married to Terry, and this is why he was still Terry's guardian and the one making medical decisions for her. So we felt as a family this was a clear conflict of interest, 
Uh, we weren't objecting to Michael moving on with his life, but we basically said, Michael, uh, give Terry back to us, and uh, we'll, be, we'll be happy to take care of her. Uh, but Michael uh, uh, said no, and, and, and it was soon thereafter that he pursued, um, you know, uh, uh, pursued the courts to uh, try and end Terry's life. And what was his justification for that? Because obviously she was still alive, as you point out. Uh, you know, food and water, just anybody needs those to survive. That's, that's not extraordinary care, you would think, by any definition. So why why did he pursue this course? Well, strangely enough, out of the blue, really it kind of blindsided her whole family that Michael, and this was almost uh, eight years after Terry's collapse. I'm sorry, it was eight years after Terry's collapse. Uh, uh, and again, to make mention that there was nothing written and there was never my sister had no advanced directive or living will there was nothing ever in writing but uh, michael claimed again eight years after terry's collapse that uh terry had made these alleged wishes that if she was ever in this condition she would not want to live that way so michael took this to the court uh and, and petitioned the court based on these so-called wishes uh was asking permission to uh, remove terry's food and hydration uh, our family never believed it for one second we to this day, believe that Michael fabricated these wishes. He perjured himself to the court in order to uh, to seek permission or, to, or or get permission granted to take away Terry's food and hydration, which he was successful in doing. Uh, after after a week long uh, trial, uh, the judge did uh, side with uh, rule in Michael's favor that he could remove Terry's food and hydration. Why would he just not return your sister to the family if if he was moving on with his life? What difference would, did it, did it make? Well, he he claims it was Terry's wish, and he was only pursuing Terry's wish. Uh, so that was his claim. Uh, our family, uh, we don't know exactly the the reasons, uh, but but we believe that perhaps it was the million dollars that was in Terry's trust that he was going to um, that he would inherit upon Terry's death. Also, the fact that he was um, he was uh, uh, engaged to another woman. Uh, so these two things alone seem to be a pretty, pretty strong, pretty strong motivation for Michael to um, to, to pursue Terry's death. Plus, there's, all, there's also the, the notion that perhaps Michael put Terry in this condition in the first place. There, there is reason to believe, with some of the things that happened subsequent to Terry's collapse, that uh, that would lead one to believe that Michael was responsible for, for putting Terry in this condition in the first place. And the fact that she was responding to rehabilitation and therapy and she was starting to speak, uh, perhaps Michael saw that as a threat and, and didn't want Terry to, to, to be able to say what, what happened that night. We just don't know. But, uh, but at the very least, Michael was going to inherit uh, Terry's medical trust fund, which, which, is, which was a significant amount of money at that time. Why did so many journalists then in the media at the time report that she was, that she was actually brain dead when this is so clearly not the case? Well, it, it's interesting. Uh, you, you would think with the circumstances, the conflict of interest, uh, everything, uh, the, everything that was the truth about the situation that the media would have, would have really um, uh, saw Michael for what he was and what he was trying to do, uh, but that wasn't the case. That they, I don't know if it's, uh, if it's uh, this, this uh, culture of death agenda that we, we find today. A lot of the media uh, seems to have adopted um, but they were clearly biased towards Michael's, um, uh, towards uh, Michael and, and what he was trying to do to my sister. Um, it became clear, pretty clear to our family, pretty much from the onset, uh, that they were they were really reporting this in favor of Michael and, and really trying to convince 
the readers or the viewers or whoever it was uh, that that um, that that what they were doing, what 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 Michael was doing was the you know so-called right thing to do. How did your family cope with all this? Well, we were we just as a family we just united and tried to do everything we could in our power to stop this, and that was by reaching out to anyone we we knew that that might be able to help, any group that might be able to help anybody, and um, uh, we 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 created a website and uh, tried to get the uh, news out. Uh, what was happening to Terry? We, we released videos of her responding. That was really fly. It was flying in the face of what the media was reporting about my sister and what Michael and his attorney were saying about my sister. So, as a family, we just said that we have to try and do something to stop this, and, and we did everything in our power to, to do that. But, uh, uh, but as you know, um, we were unsuccessful after almost five years of trying to fight for my sister. There's a lot of people there's a lot of discussion that's sort of going back and forth on the on the things that led up to your sister's death for example in the pro-life community there are some that say uh you know then governor jeb bush tried his very hardest uh there are some who say uh, that he blinked at the wrong time and backed down when he shouldn't have and there are those who say he he sold out how do you feel about the whole situation yeah i think uh well i've, I've said really from the beginning that that um I've always admired Governor Bush for, for what he did to try and stop Terry. There's, I don't know how many, if any, governors would have went to the extent that he did to try and protect Terry. I mean, yes, uh, we, we, this, we would have liked to have saved my sister and stopped this from happening. But the, uh, really for, I guess, the better part of, uh, I, I guess it was, um, I, forget, I forget exactly the timeline, but I think it was at least uh, two years or so that the governor really stood with our family and, and could have stopped at any time, uh, but, but he kept uh, doing what he could to try and find a way to protect my sister and stop this from happening. So um, you know, we've, we've always, I've always expressed my gratitude to the governor for, for what he did, and, um, and I know that, as you said, it is, uh, it is, um, there are a lot of people that felt like he could have done more, but uh, I just don't see it that way. It's interesting. There was an interview that recently came out with Jeb Bush's candidacy for for president with Michael Schiavo. I don't know if you read it, where Michael Schiavo said that that Governor Bush uh, put him through hell with the Terry Schiavo proceedings. What would your response to that be? Well, it's it's, it's interesting. It seems to be all about Michael again. I mean, Michael makes that that statement without any regard to what he put my sister through. Uh, she, he starved. He was the reason. Terry went through almost two weeks of, of starvation and dehydration, which was a absolutely inhumane way to die and as a result of, of Michael's actions. So um, we, we really try not to pay too much attention uh, to Michael and, and his comments. Uh, he obviously hasn't changed his position. We kind of look forward and, and try to help now families that are in situations similar to Terry's and try and prevent this from happening from families uh, that, that reach out to us for, for, that, for, that, for that help. So in, in the two weeks where she was removed from feeding tubes, did, did, did you and your family manage to go see her? Yes, we were permitted to see her. It was at Michael's discretion, but we were able during those two weeks um, to go in there and visit. And uh, as the process ensued, you know, from the beginning up until Terry died, it was it's hard to describe uh, watching a person die this way. Uh, the, the other side, these people that advocate for this kind of death will tell you that it was peaceful, that it's a peaceful and painless way to die. It's an absolute lie. I mean, this, this it couldn't be further from the truth. The, the, uh, the inhumanity, the, just the uh, the physical torture and, and 
the experience of, of, of a person having to die this way and the suffering that my sister went through was, was anything but peaceful and beautiful. It was uh, something that no family should, should ever have to witness, let alone parents watching their child uh, have to die this way. So she, she physically changed quite a bit. Oh, my gosh, yes. I mean, uh, people would ask me, and, and the only comparison I can make is uh, the, the pictures that you see from those in concentration camps. And, and quite honestly, uh, Terry looked worse to me. I mean, uh, I mean, I can get pretty graphic on how physically she deteriorated, mm-hmm. but it was uh, it was something nightmares were made of, and and uh, and it just uh, it really frustrates me and upsets me to no end to to read uh, people saying that this is this is some type of peaceful and painless way to die. I mean, if it, if it, it, it they they have to tell you that they have to lie because if people knew the truth, perhaps there would be more action being taken or taken place that would try and stop this from happening. Did she respond to you at all in the last two weeks? Terry is always responsive. I mean, from the beginning, again, that's something that the media distorts to this day. They they, they use the autopsy to somehow justify Terry's death. Uh, but Terry at times was very responsive. She she was able to communicate at some level. She was conscious at some level. We could just never get anything consistent enough to get any type of... Um, uh, um, consistent uh, response from my sister, but uh, as far as when we would ask her questions, but um, but there's no doubt that she was conscious at, at some level, and uh, and and during the two weeks of her death, absolutely. I mean, I, as I said, there there was no doubt my sister was suffering. She expressed that the way she the way she looked, and uh, um, it was just uh, barbaric uh, uh, what they did to her. When when Terry did pass away, uh, and, and then and then your family had a funeral, I believe, is that not correct? Yes. Where did you, as a family, move, how did you guys move on from there? So there's the situation that happened, and now uh, most of you are involved in, in some form of advocacy, as you yourself are. Well, yes. I mean, obviously, my sister's situation, her case, her death, it all had a profound effect on our family, and. Uh, and really, what led to this, our response to this, was to form this nonprofit that we currently run today. And much of that was um, and, uh, uh, we wanted to do to try and raise awareness and, uh, and educate the public on really the lies that are being told. Many of which I just discussed uh, today. Uh, also, uh, families were coming up to us who had loved ones that were in these types of conditions that were asking us to continue to advocate uh, for these individuals and these families, since we did have a voice through Terry's battle and the attention that it that it drew, not only nationally but internationally, it allowed our family to, to, to have a voice uh, for these individuals that and these families that are up against the same people, organizations uh, that, that our family was up against. So that really led our family to, uh, to continue to try and advocate for those like Terry and the families that are caring for them. How do you think Terry's story has impacted people, just even in regards to, you know, who got involved, the Pope himself, so many people, you know, got involved in, in Terry's situation. What impact uh, has her story had since her death? Well, it's, it's, um, it, it's, it's pretty, pretty uh, I don't know the word, astonishing. Even today, the emails that we get uh, where people will tell us how Terry has, in some way has changed their, their life. I mean, it all started from when people started learning about our family struggle to help Terry and it's, and it's lasted over, uh, now it's been over 10 years since her death. So, um, it, it obviously Terry's death, uh, has had a lasting impact on many people 
obviously our family, and, and we're doing our best to try and not let people forget what they did to my sister, but more importantly, what they're doing to people like Terry every single day, uh, even others medically vulnerable, the elderly, uh, so many other uh, medically vulnerable individuals are at risk now and are, be and are being killed every day by having their food and water taken away. People that are not dying and are able to assimilate or metabolize food and hydration to a feeding tube, these people, we're not talking about end-of-life situations where someone might have a terminal illness or might be hours away from death. We're talking about people that could live a normal lifespan, as in case of Terry, that are being killed every single day by having their food and water taken away uh, and uh, deliberately. Uh, uh, and, uh, uh, and we're trying to do what we can to, to try and advocate for these individuals and, and let the public know that this has to stop. Uh, th this was not that long ago thought of something that would be barbaric and inhumane. Uh, but today it's become routine and ordinary, and as I said, it's, it's happening every single day across countless health facilities in our nation and really uh, throughout, you know, worldwide. So essentially, in hospitals, there is judicial murders taking place by the removal of, of essential care. Well, not, I mean, there's not even courts involved. This could just be the, whoever the um, medical power of attorney or whoever it is making decisions on their medical, uh, on, on medical treatment. They they now and, and uh, uh, can be the ones deciding to take away a person's food and hydration, and that the families object to it. Uh, what we're seeing now is that uh, healthcare healthcare facilities, ethics boards, hospital boards are now increasing, are having more and more power to uh, to overrule, so to speak, families. And so, if they decide they're not going to they're not going to continue to treat someone, whether it's food and hydration or some other type of medical treatment, they're the ones now making these decisions rather than family members. So we have strangers now that are deciding really life and death uh, death matters where it used to be families uh, making these decisions. So it really just, it's, it, it's, a, it's a problem we have on so many levels. Uh, and, and the fact that food and hydration uh, through feeding tubes is legal now in all 50 states uh, to, because it's defined as medical treatment, it's legal now that, that it can be removed from an individual uh, and because of this, it's just—it's really become, I would say, an epidemic where uh, every day people are being killed by having their food and hydration uh, taken from them. As I understand it, though, a bill recently did pass in Texas uh, defending the right of people to to receive food and water uh, through a tube. Right. Well, that's my understanding as well, and and we really need to work on on public policy and 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 do a better job of of protecting these individuals because right now. Uh, it, it, depending on what state you live in, it's rather easy to deny a person food and hydration uh, because, as I said, uh, it's been redefined as medical treatment. Uh, it, it used to be defined, uh, food and hydration through a feeding tube, it used to be defined as basic and ordinary care, but because of this reclassification where it's now, and perhaps I should have mentioned this earlier, but because it's now considered medical treatment, that's really what gives the power to family members and uh, hospitals and, and others to, uh, to deliberately take it away from, from individuals. What for you in the, in the whole uh, fight for for Terry's life was sort of the most the most shocking moment. It was a long drawn out battle. There was protesters on the streets and outside the hospitals, and you know the National Guard got involved. What for you was was sort of the most you know shocking and exceptional part of this whole thing? Well, I, I think there's a lot of things. Uh, one is really the the uh, the callousness, or if that's the right word, just the people that were up against. Uh, they're they're just their their whole demeanor 
towards what was happening to my sister during those two weeks. And, and I guess um, also just the, how our family was attacked. I mean, aside from the fact of what Terry went through, I mean, that for our family was what was what would be and always be uh, uh, you know, something that was, we'll never forget uh, how Terry died. But, but I'd say the people we were dealing with and, and, and really the, the how people were attacking and some of the things they were saying uh, about my family and Terry in particular, which never made any sense to me. I mean, our family was just trying to care for somebody, care for somebody because we loved them, uncon- we loved her unconditionally. And yet, mm-hmm. some of the things that were being said and the attitudes and the mentality of some of these people was just uh, was was something I would have never expect it uh, when when trying to care for somebody who, had, who basically just had, I mean, the only thing Terry, Terry was a, a woman with a disability, and and the way. That she was being spoken about to this day, uh, even by so many people in the media, it's, it's, it's just very upsetting. All right. Well, thanks so much for, for taking the time to share your story with us. Oh, you're welcome, John. I, I appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Bobby Schindler, the brother of Terry Schiavo, sharing his sister's story with us. We'd like to thank each and every one of you for tuning in today and for taking the time to uh, to hear the this, this week's program of The Bridgehead. We hope you have a wonderful weekend, and we hope you'll turn, tune in again next Thursday at 1.30 p.m. Thanks so much. Have a great weekend. <laughs>